So I woke up this Friday morning um, to check the sports news, and the big news Friday morning was about the uh, Thursday night NFL game between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The very, very end of the game, as many of you know, uh, the game was decided Cleveland was going to win, Pittsburgh had the ball, just trying to run out the clock. And on the last play, uh, one of the very best players in the whole NFL, defensive end Miles Garrett for the Cleveland Browns, um, tackled the Steelers quarterback, Mason Rudolph, and they tussled on the ground. And then he ripped off Rudolph's helmet and swung it wildly at him, uh, and it crashed on Rudolph's head. And uh, chaos ensued. Um, Both benches cleared uh, just to come out onto the field to fight, um, just a, a unraveling of, of everything there. It was a, a shocking act of violence, and um, I'm, I'm well aware that football uh, is known for violence. And My last time I ever had a football uniform was my senior year playing high school football, and I broke my arm, so I get that. But I'd, I'd never seen anything like this, um, and it was disturbing. And I watched it, the replay, Friday morning, over and over, and I thought, this is an image. It seems like an image. The United States, circa 2019, a snapshot of where we are. There are a lot of days, there are a lot of signs that we are living in a, a kind of an unraveling moment. There are just mountains of gathering uh, social data from polls and Surveys that tell us we are as divided as we've ever been politically, regionally, uh, morally, philosophically, um, uh, even religiously. Um, The Atlantic this week, by the way, The Atlantic this week had a feature article. The title was, How America Ends. So no one comes to church to hear bad news like this. We come to church to hear good news. So the question for us, in light of what I've just described, which I think is accurate, you may disagree, I think it's accurate, Uh, in light of that, what is the good news? What does it sound like? Well, it sounds like this from the book of Isaiah this morning. The Lord says, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. This reading today from Isaiah, which is so beautiful, and I'm only focusing on the very first verses we heard, uh, comes at the very, very end of a very, very long book of the Old Testament. And the poet who wrote these last lines, these last chapters of Isaiah, understood that God's people way back in the Old Testament, just like God's people today, are susceptible to discouragement. Uh, even a kind of spiritual despair when we think about our present and where we're going. The context for this passage is uh, we think around the 530s, the 530s B.C. And the people of Israel have spent the last two generations in bondage uh, to the pagan empire of Babylon. They've been exiled there. They've been set free to go home and to put their nation, their national life back together again. But their experience has been shaped by a lot of shattered dreams and disillusionment, profound losses. Uh, They seem, as you read this part of Israel's history, to reel from one disappointment 
to the other. Then they are finally released from exile in Babylon. They return to Jerusalem and find it in ruins. Looking at that terrible mess, looking at the rubble, I think they can be forgiven if they lack the spiritual imagination, the spiritual resources to imagine a bright future. How could they ever put all of that back together? So it's into that situation that the book of Isaiah points forward rather than backward toward nostalgia or to the present, which is a disaster, uh, to what is and what, that is to say, what will come. The Lord God says, I am about to create. I would suggest to you that when God says that, those are the most five powerful words in all of reality. The future is in God's hands, and if God is going to create anything at all, you can be assured it will be good. By definition, if God creates, it is good. I am about to create. And so we're Christians now. We know what that future looked like, how it came to be defined. 500 years after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, quite frankly, things weren't a whole lot better for the people of God then. Just substitute the Roman Empire for the Babylonian Empire. Again, under foreign domination, but a more powerful foreign force invades. The word made flesh, and in the process becomes no foreigner, but one of us, with the power that we call the power of the cross. And it is his power there that the the grace, the mercy, the love of God is all we need and everything we need to face our futures with hope. Now, today, but for all eternity. And we call that the gospel. That's the gospel. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. How can we hear that as the greatest possible good news? You are Not your own means that your destiny, whatever it is you're facing today, is not up to you. You can let go of that. Your future is assured. Live instead, instead of striving and trying to achieve anxiously, worriedly, all the time, folks of St. George's, live to the glory of God because Your future is assured, and that is not only the best gift for yourself, that is the best gift we can ever offer the world. I have to say that the more I'm in pastoral ministry, the more I'm a Christian myself, the more I believe that the sign of a healthy person, the healthiest kind of person, is the person who says, what I'm going through right now is terrible. This is a mess. Maybe I've created it. Maybe I'm a victim of my mess. But I know this is not ultimate. I am not defined by what I am dealing with right now. So what do I mean by that? This past week, I was going through some old sermons that I've preached for this particular Sunday. And I dug up one from 2007, in which I mentioned a friend of mine, um, the Reverend John Barr. Yes, the father of our very own David Barr. Now, I think David was a teenager when I was talking about his dad, and his dad and I had been together at a conference in the summer. And um, John was uh, sharing about one of his favorite TV shows from 
the 70s and the 80s and one of mine, MASH. Uh, many of you are, I'm getting old. I, I, does anybody even remember that show? Okay. So it's a long, long running show about a U.S. Army medical uh, hospital unit smack in the middle of the Korean War zone. Um, and John was sharing in our conversation previous that summer that his favorite character on the show was Colonel Blake. Um, I don't know if you remember him, his character. He always wore a fishing cap. Uh, he always looked kind of bemused uh, as things were going on. Uh, Colonel Blake loved to fish. Colonel Blake was from Vermont. And he was in charge of this medical unit. And he was always having to deal with just a, an endless array of problems and disasters. He had hot lips Hulahan exploding in anger all the time. You have uh, Radar, who is incompetent. You have Klinger walking around in a dress. You have guys getting drunk, bombs going off. And in the midst of that, a ceaseless parade of broken bodies being brought into the hospital. And in the midst of all that chaos, all that brokenness, Colonel Blake had his fishing cap on. And he looked like this. How did he do this? What, what is the purpose of this character in the show? Because Colonel Blake was representative of the person who said, I'm not defined by everything going on around here. I am not a part of this. My identity is not the Korean War and all the chaos around me. I'm from Vermont. That's my home. And the hat was a symbol of that. And I want to suggest to you, likewise, as the church, what we're dealing with, now and maybe well into the future is important. It's our context for life and ministry, but it is not our ultimate destiny. We need a lot more fishing hats and we need a lot fewer swinging helmets. I'm about to create. What would that look like for you? Jesus himself had to address this anxiety, this discouragement about the times, his times. He said to us, Followers, in essence, the gospel I just read, yes, it looks bad. It is bad. And you know what? It may get worse. But remember who I am. And when things are toughest for you, when you're persecuted, brought before magistrates, thrown in jail, even when they kill you, this will be your opportunity to testify to me. I will give you the words and a wisdom that no one can contradict overturn. This is our opportunity to testify. So again, what does that look like? I'm going to end with this little personal illustration. It was exactly, I think, five years ago, Susley and I, on this weekend, went to Athens, Georgia for homecoming for our daughter's senior year there. And we had the joys of, um, one of the great joys of life is to be on um, I-285 around Atlanta at 5 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> And I, I timed it. We went four miles in one hour. And, and for those of you who know me well, this is not where I'm likely to be at my best. Um, and, you know, people are, you know, you can look to the cars to your left and right, and, and everybody's mad and, and trying to finagle their way in between. I mean, you, there's nowhere to go. We're not moving at all. And I remember we kind of came around this bend and, uh, and it just opened up like it was a miracle. And I remember saying, if only somebody had known that 
and walked back into the traffic and saying, it's okay. It's, it's going to open up. Just, just hang in there. Be your best. Things will open up. I promise you, because I have seen it myself. That is your ministry. That is the ministry of the church for these times. This is a critical season for us to testify and to think freshly, imaginatively, courageously what that looks like for our times. Christ promises us he will give us the words. But will anyone listen if we do not believe it for ourselves?